When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 440 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. And on today's show, we have a down and dirty conscious consumer episode for you. We're discussing new research into the plasticizers that are in our foods, our favorite foods. Now, there's a lot of confusing chatter out there when it comes to plastics. What's a plastic? How are phthalates and bisphenols related? What about microplastics and nanoplastics? Then we've got the group of chemicals known as PFAS. How can we keep it straight? What does it all mean? Well, today in the first part of our conversation, Dr. James Rogers over at Consumer Reports and I break down all of these terms in easy to understand language for all of us, because even I, as someone who does this show, I can get them confused. So that's the first part of today's show. And then in part two of today's show, we're discussing what Dr. Rogers and his team found. They tested nearly 100 food items and they found an awful lot of plasticizers in our food. So how are these plasticizers getting into our food? What does it mean for our health and everything in between? Dr. Rogers, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show a second time. How are you? I am doing pretty good and I'm glad for the invitation and look forward to talking to you today. Well, every time you come on, we talk about stuff that's in our food that's not supposed to be there. Last time we chatted about heavy metals in our chocolate, and today we're talking about plasticizers in, I believe you tested 100 different food items. We'll get there in a minute. Before we do all of that, I would love it if we could define terms because it's hard to keep them all straight. There's the PFASs, the phthalates, the biphenols. So let's start with what you studied. You studied phthalates and biphenols, correct? What are they? So we tested food for a family of chemicals called plasticizers. And these chemicals are used when they manufacture the plastic to give it certain characteristics, whether it's firmness or flexibility, etc. The two classes of of plasticizers that we tested were the bisphenols, including bisphenol A, and phthalates. And so they're two different uh, chemicals used in the manufacturer and are considered plasticizers. Okay. So thank you for correcting me on my uh, pronunciation. It's bisphenol. I really want to say bisphenol. (laughs) Bisphenol. (laughs) Well, most people have problems with pronouncing phthalates. So you got got that one right. (laughs) One out of two. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So how are these plasticizers then different from PFASs? Well, the PFAS chemicals are 
also called forever chemicals. They are chemicals that are used to give certain materials, certain characteristics. They can be found in firefighter foam, right? They can be found as coatings on cloth to make it waterproof. So that's a totally different class of chemicals. We've also tested for heavy metals like arsenic and cadmium and lead and mercury in food. And I think that, oh, and we've also tested for pesticides. Most of our testing is really data analysis from our federal advisory group, usually the FDA or the USDA. But our primary focus have been heavy metals in food and water, PFAS, the forever chemicals in food and water, and now plasticizers in food and food containers. So that's very helpful. Thank you for making those distinctions. I have had somebody other than you from Consumer Reports on to discuss uh, your reporting or your findings with regard to the forever chemicals in food. They're in our food. Now, before we get into this specific research on plasticizers, I just want to broaden our lens for a minute and discuss how microplastics would fit into this conversation. Microplastics, nanoplastics, they're in our blood, they're on the top of Mount Everest, they're everywhere. How would microplastics fit into our conversation? So they're related, but they're not the same. Okay, Microplastics and nanoplastics are little pieces of plastics and shards and so on and so forth that shear off from the mothership and contaminate our water, our food. We found them in our blood. So they're little pieces of plastics. The microplastics are small. The nanoplastics are smaller. But two things, it's hard to test, especially for nanoplastics. And the second thing is that we are not sure what the health concerns yet are associated with contamination with the micro and nanoplastics. But they're related to plasticizers because they're plastic and they have the potential of shedding these chemicals just like a big piece of plastic would, just like a food container would. And so they could pose a problem in the same way. And and it'll probably be a harder question or issue to address down the road as to if we can get rid of the plasticizers from larger pieces of plastic, how are we going to do it? How are we going to deal with these microplastics? But that's a discussion for down the road. Right now, we are dealing with the chemicals in either big pieces of plastic containers and wrappers and all the rest of that, or the food itself. That's where our testing focused. And in this project, it was only on the food. All right. Let's talk about those plasticizers. What are some of the documented human health effects of these phthalates? And I'm going to try and say it right. Don't don't tell me. Bisphenols. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you said it just right. So these two chemicals, as I said, are two families of plasticizers. They're associated with endocrine disruption. Now, endocrine disruption means that these chemicals can affect the human body by either preventing the make, uh, the manufacture of certain hormones or reducing the concentration, such as hormones like estrogen, right? And the actual illnesses and bad things that can happen to the body include cardiovascular problems, causing obesity, increase in diabetes, infertility problems problems with the development of the fetus, those type of things. And so they're all hormonal related. And so that's why we are really concerned about these chemicals being in our food, especially. I learned from your reporting, Consumer Reports' reporting, that 
the effects of these plasticizers on human health do tend to be cumulative. So low amounts over a long period of time can lead to some chronic condition down the road. However, that's what makes it so hard to make a connection between the health effect and the exposure to these plasticizers. So what would you say to somebody who's listening right now and is thinking, we have way more problems to worry about. I'm not going to worry about my chronic health issues four decades down the line because there's really no documented connection as of yet. I would probably take issue with that because, number one, there are a lot of exposures that come into play that are more chronic and not acute. The other thing is that with this problem with the plasticizers is that while your body can clear them pretty easily, our studies and other studies suggested that you are constantly bombarded by exposure to these chemicals. And for instance, if you're bombarded or come in contact with them early in your life and you have years and years of acclimation to this, then what if you're a married couple and you're having problems getting pregnant? Because these can cause infertility problems. What if later on you develop diabetes and you could have prevented that if we could get these chemicals out of your food? And so I would say to them that although it may sound like it's a chronic problem over a long period of time, it can have some pretty serious effects on you as a consumer when they finally manifest the diseases and the problems that exposure to these chemicals can cause. All right. So you tested, I believe it's a hundred different food items off the shelves of the supermarket, some fast food as well. Tell us, what did you test? How did you test it? And what did you find? So it was 85 different food products. It included yogurt and soda or pop, depending on where you live in the United States. Fast food, meat, poultry, seafood, and canned fruits and vegetables. And we purchased them at retail, which is what we always do with our sampling. And then we ship them to a lab that is certified for being able to test for these chemicals. And we tested them for the bisphenols and the phthalates. And we got the data back, we analyzed the data, and then we generated the report that either you can see in our magazine or on the website. I want to talk about the bisphenols first, because maybe five, 10 years ago, there was public outcry about BPA in cans leaching into food. Now we have marketing on our canned products saying BPA-free. You did find that bisphenol levels have gone down since the last time you tested, which I believe was around 2009, maybe. Do you think that there's any correlation between the bisphenol numbers going down and the public outcry or not? I think that the public outcry and the attempts to regulate these chemicals in cans, et cetera, containers worked because we noticed, as you mentioned, that we had a reduction in levels. And that's very important. And because of that, we believe that our campaigns, the petitions, the pressure that we put on our regulatory agencies really resulted in this. So yes, I think it did. And you're right. We last tested in 2009 and 79% of the samples that were positive, but they were positive at a much lower concentration. So yes, we were happy to see that actually. Hmm. So it's still there. That specific plasticizer is still in food, but it's less than 15 years ago. So 
good news. Some good news there. Much less than we found in the phthalates because 84 products out of 85 are positive for phthalates. And the concentrations range from very low to very high. You can see those numbers in the magazine and in the report. Some of the highest levels were like in canned peaches from Del Monte and pink salmon, Yoplait original French yogurt, fast food, the Wendy's crispy chicken nuggets, Chipotle chicken burritos, Burger King Whopper with cheese. So, yes, we found some very high levels, um, but there was a range. So we do have to note that. Um, didn't depend on packaging type, didn't depend on if it was organic because uh, the highest level was found in an organic cheesy ravioli made by Annie's. So organic does not matter in this particular contaminant. Yes. And as a parent with two children who grew up on Annie's everything, because it's seems to be the health you would think i would think going into the supermarket that's the healthier choice uh, but with regards to this particular contaminant this particular plasticizer that's just not the case and so i want to talk about the phthalates for a minute because nine phthalates are banned in children's toys here in the united states but they are given free range to be in our food make that make sense to me because it makes no sense from where i'm sitting doesn't make sense to us either. In fact, there was a citizen's petition to ban them in food, which was rejected. So that's one of the reasons why we did this study, because we wanted newest, freshest data in testing to eventually go to the FDA and say, we want you to ban all of the phthalates in food packaging and in food contact surfaces, which can be plastic in the manufacture of food. So the conveyor belts, the hoses, the gloves that the workers wear when they're making the food, we want the FDA to ban it because we don't believe there's a safe level. Now, some people might think that the research isn't there to show that, but that's what our scientists believe, that it needs to be banned, at least from food packaging and the food contact surfaces that are plastic. Hmm. So I definitely want to get into how exactly these plasticizers are getting into our food. I would have assumed that it was just from the packaging. So just the liner on the can, let's say, or just from the plastic wrap that the whatever's you know, packaged in. But those are not the only ways that these plasticizers are entering our food. So I'm going to table that question because I want to go back to phthalates for just one moment. Those of us who consider ourselves a little bit crunchy, for lack of a better word, we care about the personal care products that we're putting on our bodies. We already know that phthalates are endocrine disruptors, and so we're actively avoiding them in our soaps and our shampoos. And so it's very frustrating for me as somebody who's doing everything she can in her little bubble (laughs) to stay safe and protect my family to find out that phthalates are in my food. What the heck? So I guess there's no question there. It's just I just needed to vent for a minute. But let's let's talk about how these plasticizers are getting into our food. Yes, the packaging. But how else? You mentioned conveyor belts. Talk to me. Yeah. So in the manufacture of food, you may or may not know this, but uh, a lot of it is automated and a lot of it uses machinery. Now, you mentioned the first belief that, yes, they thought that the phthalates, the plasticizers came from the wrapping, the plastic wrappings or whatever. 
But as they did more and more research, they noticed that there were a number of other areas that could be contaminated with phthalates and that it can get into the food. For instance, your plastic trash, plastic bags, etc., goes into the landfill, the plasticizers come out, get into the water, so now it's in your drinking water. The incineration of plastic, you burn the plastic, heat releases these chemicals. That's why you don't microwave a plastic containers, gets into the air, gets into the soil. Now your soil is contaminated. And then we already talked, talked about microplastics. Now in agriculture, if it's in the water, if it's in the air, if it's in the soil, cows drink the water, they can pick it up, it gets into their meat, and then you see it in beef. The plasticizers get into the soil, drawn up by the plants that we uh, use for food, and it ends in, ends up in the fruits and vegetables that we eat. And then as we've been talking is the manufacturing part where there are these chemicals in the food contact surfaces made out of plastic. Pla- the food comes through that conveyor belt, sits on the conveyor belt, the chemicals get transferred into the food. And then as we've already talked about, plastic containers, plastic packaging, plastic wraps, etc., So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. As you're talking there, Dr. Rogers, I'm just thinking about how, you know, we've polluted this planet with plastics. <laughs> and we're polluting our bodies now as well, um, especially in the t- context of this conversation with the plasticizers, but also the PFAS. And so I guess I would just love your thoughts. What do you think needs to happen with regard to plastics and regulation on the large scale? 
It's going to be, we're going to have to attack this on a couple of levels. Let's start with the regulatory. Let's start with the research level. That's probably the best. Again, as you mentioned, there are some concerns of a direct link of a particular phthalate, for instance, to a particular illness, let's say diabetes. So let's do the research. Let's have either our federal labs or the academic labs actually do the research, do the public health, and try to see can we associate a particular phthalate or phthalates to a particular illness. And then we would have much more firepower to actually advocate for this. Second thing would be, we believe the data is there to, for instance, ban phthalates from packaging and from food manufacturing, food contact surfaces. Let's urge the FDA, join our petition, and there's a link in the articles, write your Congress people, write the manufacturer themselves and say, you want these chemicals out of plastic that touches our food, right? And then vote with your dollars. When we finally get some manufacturers to commit to doing this, let's help them out by buying their products. On the manufacturing side, manufacturers tend to know their processes very well. And so we would ask the manufacturers to do the research themselves test the food contact surfaces that are made of plastic. And if you find that the plasticizers are high, replace those pieces with plastic that does not have the plasticizers in it. So I think it's going to be a group effort. I think we're going to have to all pull together, but I think it's doable to eventually have these chemicals. If we can't eliminate them, at least reducing the concentration, just like we did with bisphenols, let's do the same thing with phthalates. And finally, get the levels low in our food so that we may not be able to have zero risk, but we're going for lower risk of these chemicals and harming consumers. Yeah, I wonder if we're about 10-ish years away from phthalate-free written on our food packaging, right? We're not there yet, but perhaps in the next decade. But in the meantime, I don't want to sit around and wait for... All the research to be done, then the lobbying for the law that may or may not be passed and the regulations that may or may not come through. So what on earth can I do? I mean, I need to go to the grocery store and I need to feed my family. So what do I do? (laughs) So first thing we want is informed, knowledgeable, smart consumers. So we urge consumers to look at our research look at other groups' research, because there are other groups that are looking at these chemicals in food, and form an action plan for your family. Look at what you shop for, look at some of the products that have tested high, and try to find something that's different, that still fulfills your need as a consumer, but also uh, from companies and foods that are testing lower and companies that are trying. So that's number one, be an informed consumer. Number two, there's certain lifestyle changes that you can do to reduce your risk. Uh, Note that I said not make your risk zero, but you can reduce your risk. So we have said in the articles that number one, you avoid plastic food storage containers. So if your food comes from the grocery store and you're concerned about it's in plastic, transfer it to another container made of glass. Now, I know that's going to be a lot of glass in your kitchen and it's going to be very heavy, but that's one thing. Number two, and I've mentioned this before, do not microwave in plastic. Heat helps these chemicals come out of the plastic and get in your food. So use glass. 
uh, steer clear or eliminate fast foods because, as you noted, there were a number of fast foods that were high in these chemicals. They also tend to be have more fat content, and there are studies that show that you can find these chemicals more in fatty foods than others. So eat minimally processed food, fresh fruits and vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. Use water bottles that are made of glass, not plastic or made of, or use them that are made of stainless steel. Same thing in your kitchen. Eliminate plastic utensils and use wood or stainless steel or silicone for your kitchen tools. Open your windows. Fresh air is good for you. Refuse paper receipts. There are some reports that there are some high concentrations because of the ink and the way the thermal papers are processed that they can have a lot of phthalates too. And then limit your use of vinyl in, in your life, in your household, et cetera. So those are some of the things that we've recommended in the articles to try to, again, reduce your risk, but we doubt that we can get it to zero, at least at the present time. Can we just talk about your last suggestion there, reducing your vinyl exposure? I'm trying to think what I have in my house that's vinyl, maybe my shower curtain, but where does vinyl really come into play? Now, it may be a little bit old days, but it used to be there was your furniture was covered in vinyl. Sometimes the flooring is made out of vinyl. The flooring tiles are the big sheets that we used to use to cover our floors. So if you have the option to switch to ceramic or wood, you may want to consider that. Sometimes in the old days, and I'm not going to age myself here, but there were vinyl belts and vinyl vests and different types of clothing that we used to have, vinyl shoes that could potentially pose an issue. And then if you remember the old cars, a lot of times the seats were vinyl. They're not that much anymore, but the seat coverings were vinyl. May not be such an effective elimination, but there are still some vinyl in some people's homes and I guess in some of their dressing. Well, now I'm picturing you with a vinyl vest on, Dr. Rogers. But you make a good point, which is in 2024, Vinyl is essentially vegan leather. So those of us who care about animal rights, we don't want to be wearing a carcass. Um, So we're going for the vegan leathers. The vegan leathers are just plastics a lot of the time. The technology is not there to make real-looking leather from mushrooms yet. I know there's talk about it, but it's not there yet. So consider that if you're a vegan leather fan. But one last question for you, Dr. Rogers. You mentioned a petition. What does it advocate for and where can we find it? So in the story on CR.org and in the magazine, we include links to any of the petitions that we do after testing and that when we find something that we believe we can petition the FDA to make changes. And so if you look at the story and look on CR.org for the story and in the magazine, there should be a link in there that will link you to a petition where we are writing, for, we will contact the manufacturers and ask them to do something. So like this Annie's uh, cheesy ravioli that had an issue, we will write Annie's and talk to them and say, is there any way that you know why it's high, number one, and can you reduce it, number two? We will petition food manufacturers in that way. Second is that we will petition the FDA to ban phthalates in all food contact surfaces while manufacture and in packaging. And so you will add your voice to that advocacy to try to reduce these chemicals in your life, in your food. So those are the two, er- two areas, manufacturers 
and our federal regulatory agencies that are responsible for our food, at least one of them, to do something about this problem and hopefully work with us to inform consumers also about the issues and and what's being done about it. I'll make it easy for you listeners. I will link not only to the story on consumerreports.org, but also the petition directly so we can take 10 seconds and sign it. And Dr. Rogers, I want to thank you so much for your time, but also more importantly for you and your organization's advocacy work on my behalf and my listeners' behalf. So thank you so much. All right. And thank you for supporting us also. Listeners, that's a wrap, my friends. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 440. Your homework is to go sign that petition. It's hyperlinked in the show notes. It will take you one minute max. It will be your good deed for the day. So just go do it. No excuses. Go sign the petition. I will be back tomorrow for headlines. I'll see you then and take care.